Every day, Amron, Illinois works to deliver reliable energy throughout the state to on-the-go families, in-the-know grandparents, and busy students. But did you know we also have ways to manage your energy? Paperless billing, outage notifications, pick a due date, auto pay, and so much more. So no matter who you are or how you use your energy, there's an option that's right for you. Learn more at AmarinIllinois.com slash options. And hello again, everybody. It is time for the Keith Costas podcast. I'm your host, Bob Ramsey, and the star of the show. Keith Costas is right here. Haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. Keith, how are you? I'm good, Rammer. You know, getting back in the semi-normal swing of things, traveling a little bit to stadiums without yep. the All-Star game. I think I talked to you once since then. But, uh, yeah, it's been fun to be back in the parks. Um, time to forget how hectic it is traveling around and actually going to the stadiums and dealing with rainouts and whatnot. But these are all good problems to have. So good to be back in the swing. Yeah, there's there's no question. The closer things get back to what we would have called normal in the past, and you, we never think of normal as a great goal or way to go, right. but we're dealing with something like this. Our business, do, being able to do things in a normal fashion is is huge. Yes, smother me in routine. Bring it on. I've missed it <laughs> as much as uh, as much as it wears on you normally. It's a it's a welcome change after the last eighteen months. So, I was going to label this uh, our dog days of August edition. But then it hit me, um, this doesn't feel like a dog days thing where you got to just find a way to grind through it. It's like teams made their moves and it's time to make a move. It's not like let's just get through this to Labor Day. It's like now is the time, which changes the dynamic, I think. Yeah, and especially with the way they kind of reworked the trade deadline, <clears throat> trade deadline, excuse me, just the singular deadline, no kind of see if you can get a hot streak in August and then see if what teams get cold you can pick up in a waiver type of deal. So, yeah, I think that the new trade deadline and all the activity, obviously, that we saw at this year's deadline in particular, I think the note was 10 All-Stars were moved. Guys that were All-Stars this season ended up moving at the deadline. It was the most ever. So a flurry of activity and pretty much all of the contenders, it seemed like, made significant moves. And how nice was it, Rammer, to see teams – I mean, I know that the casual fan might not be following the minor leagues and the farm systems, but if you even follow it somewhat closely, the prospects, teams moved real guys. Like, you know, yeah. people that you're, you've heard of, if you follow the minor leagues at all, that aren't just from your team, guys moved, and there were real prospect move, prospects moved and real capital used to make a lot of win-now moves. So it was pretty exciting. I think people expected it to be a big deadline, and it exceeded even everyone's wildest expectations. I think so, too, and I think we probably ought to run through and see – how we would, uh, relative to the deadline and what has happened in the 10 days since, uh, where where we think it stands. Um, and I look to New York City, not to kind of typically do, oh, it all revolves around New York, but I think the Yankees and the Mets are examples of teams that really looked like they did absolutely the right thing and looked like they were poised. And for maybe different reasons, mm, Maybe they haven't made themselves the front runners. Yeah, I mean, I think last time we talked, we were talking about the AL East, and uh, you asked me to make a bold prediction. I said Anthony Rizzo to the Red Sox, perhaps, which seemed like a slam dunk, and the Yankees go out and steal him from the Red Sox. It seemed like a perfect fit in Boston, and they get Joey Gallo. They made all kinds of moves and pretty much completely reshaped their club. They had the second-best record in the majors behind the Rays, who obviously is a team they're contending with in their own division going back to 4th of July. So the Yankees for all the troubles that they've had, they are actually in pretty decent shape with the way things are shaping up in the American League East. And you got to give them credit for making all those moves. And then the Mets, 
you know, I think if you told Mets fans we're going to get Francisco Lindor before the season, Jacob DeGrom is going to have a historically low ERA, albeit in somewhat of an injury-plagued season, then we're going to supplement that with Javi Baez at the deadline. They would have been doing backflips, but it has been a disastrous stretch for the Mets, and now the schedule is catching up with them. I mean, the weather has been so bad on the East Coast for most of the summer, Rammer. The Mets are about to play their 12th doubleheader today on Wednesday, recording this. It's almost twice as many as every other team. Second most is Toronto with seven, and the Mets still have two more to go on the schedule. So they're going to play 14 doubleheaders at least before it's done. They had to make some moves to supplement the guys that they have on the shelf right now with DeGrom being banged up and uh, Lindor making his way back towards the active roster, but still on the sideline right now. So yeah, kind of two teams going in different directions in New York. And it felt like all year that the Mets were kind of the darling of the city, but you really look at that division. It's more of a function of nobody else quite being able to separate themselves from most of the year. But all of a sudden, here come the Phillies. They've been pretty hot recently. And the, and the Braves, they were one of the teams that was active too, basically completely remade their entire outfield at the deadline. So what happens with the Mets is going to be very interesting to see. It's getting into some high, high, high-level back page drama here, which is always fun. Hey, one more and one more thing about, about the Mets. It's funny, when I start, and, and you're the analyst, not me, but when I start to look at, the numbers, maybe more so than the names, I'm going, well, this offense is really pretty good now for the Mets. They've, they've got the on-base percentages, they've, mm-hmm. and, and they've got the slug, and they've got all this stuff. Um, but I wonder if you lose DeGrom, if all bets are off, none of the rest of it matters. Yeah, I mean, they have been getting on base, like you said, but some of those boppers in the middle of the lineup aren't quite having the years that they did last year. You know, last night, Pete Alonso broke out of what had been an 0 for 21. Dom Smith was a great hitter for them last year, and his power has kind of been zapped. He's come back a little bit recently. But, yeah, the Mets were such a potent offensive team last year, and they've supplemented, like you said, with a little bit more of a versatile offense, guys getting on base. But I don't think many people predict that they wouldn't have that thump in the middle of the lineup like they have. And, obviously, Lindor has been a disappointment. I still like right. Lindor as the you know a long-term projection for that, for that contract. I mean, it's not dissimilar to what the Cardinals have in – and Arenado and Goldschmidt, he's probably not going to be what he was in Cleveland. That wouldn't be realistic to expect, but I don't think this year's indicative of what they're going to get in a long run for him. But I mean, you know, if you look at the bottom line and I guess you'd have to call it somewhat of a disappointment and couple that with Alonzo. And I think that it's just as much as those other pieces that you talked about have been solid for them. I'm just not sure they have the top end of the roster performing the way they needed to, to get to where they want to go. And then you switch to the uh, Atlanta Braves. You mentioned what they did and when they, they kind of made the first move of July when they yeah. went after Jack Peterson. And I kind of, I did, this is just me. I just kind of went, eh, I'm not even sure I saw it, but they, you and me, they, well, they, and they had more steps. I presume, or I assume they had those steps planned. And now you can kind of see, okay, they didn't have to go break the bank. They brought in professionals and, uh, they really did some good things when you kind of take a look at the big picture and not one individual move. Yeah, I think they're kind of an interesting case study, especially for Cardinals fans when you think about what the Cardinals' chief competition in the division, the Brewers, obviously way out in front of the pack with Adamas. And then you look at the Braves, who's a team that the Cardinals have gone up against in the postseason a couple times recently. That's kind of been their MO. That's what Alex Anthopoulos has done in the offseason, and that's now what he's done in season two. Kind of has that – that pattern of striking first. So Josh Donaldson was a guy they got way out in front of and signed before the winter meetings a couple of years ago. Same thing with Charlie Morton this year. I know that hasn't worked out quite as planned, but they like to act quick. And I think that that can be a really 
really a beneficial strategy when you just make a decision on what you want to do. You understand that you might be forfeiting yep. a better opportunity that may or may not come your way eventually and just act quickly on something that you think can make your team incrementally or substantially better. And they've proven that they have had the appetite to do that in the offseason and now doing it in the season, like you said, and it was a precursor to a couple other moves. And you look up and all of a sudden an outfield without Acuna is a completely new outfield and off they go. And they've been struggling all year to get past 500. And like we talked about in that division, nobody's able to separate themselves. And they look around and say, I guess we got an opportunity here. Let's hit the gas pedal. And they've been playing pretty well recently and they're right back in the race. They actually have better odds to make the postseason right now if you look at some of the futures than the Mets do. So, you know, a tough season for the Braves and kind of looking up at the Mets all along. And here they are with a chance to contend with about six weeks left in the season. And then where does that leave the Phillies? They look like a team that is playing now like a team that could win the division. Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, they're basically the exact opposite of what we talked about with the Mets in terms of the top end of their roster. I mean, I know people like to rag on Bryce Harper and he's kind of become one of those situations where he was so overrated that he's now become underrated. I feel like people were had such high expectations for him. He signed the big contract. Nothing's really happened in Philly, but you look at since he came off the IL, it basically the exact same guy that was the unanimous MVP of the league five years ago. So Bryce Harper is playing at a high level. Same thing. You look at those futures. Zach Wheeler is all of a sudden with what's happened with the Grom, his old teammate, Zach Wheeler might be the favorite for the national league Cy Young. So that's a scary team to go up against in a short series for sure. And I know that the bullpen's been their Achilles heel forever, but I still contend that Joe Girardi, if you give him the right pieces and they get cooking at the right time, he's the guy who knows how to push the right buttons. Obviously a very experienced manager. So if they can get in, I don't think many teams want to see the Phillies in the short yeah. series at all. And then let's go to another division where nobody wants to see their top three teams in postseason at the beginning or at the end. And you look at the National League West with the Giants, Dodgers, and Padres. Let's start with the Padres first, Keith, because um, I think anybody who's a baseball fan, just just a fan with no uh, rooting interest specifically, you're almost heartbroken that Tatis hurts his shoulder again. Yeah. Uh, That's a tough one, and um, I hope he can come back if it's the right thing for him. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's pretty interesting that they've been so open about the possibility of him playing center field, which I think is a thing that a lot of people saw coming anyways. I mean, it's hard to make sense sometimes of these defensive defensive metrics. His first year he came up, everyone had him tabbed as the worst defensive shortstop in the majors. Last year in a short sample, he's suddenly, according to the metrics, the best defensive shortstop in the majors. I think obviously the truth is somewhere in between, but now with these shoulder issues and the long-term health concerns, you could just see him run around in center field. And obviously he's got the bat to hit anywhere. So yeah, it's an unfortunate situation. And I I think you hit the nail on the head. He's one of the few players around baseball that I think every casual baseball fan is truly attracted to. And he's actually appointment TV, regardless of what time zone you're in. Everyone loves this guy. loves to watch this guy play and he can really draw an audience. So yeah, it's an unfortunate break, but hopefully he can, uh, he can stay healthy, at least passively healthy for the rest of the season. I think it's inevitable. He's going to have surgery eventually, but if he can get back on the field and play through the pain, they've obviously got the pieces around him to contend, but that's another team like the Braves. I loved what the Padres did. I loved what the yeah. Rays did. Two teams that came up just short last year were very close to, to getting to the finish line and they identified players they wanted early. They didn't wait till that, till the July 30th on the nose to make their moves. The Rays went out and got Cruz. You know, the Padres knew that they had this situation looming with the teeth and added another versatile player in Frazier. So those are a couple of teams that I liked how they got very aggressive early at the deadline too. And that you, you nailed it. The NL West, I mean, it's just a gauntlet and those teams almost had no choice, but to be super aggressive unless they want to just wave the white flag. 
Yeah, and I think other teams might. When I when you look at the Dodgers getting Turner and Scherzer, who are both unbelievable players, and it's funny how good Turner is. You look at that slide that's been going yeah. on, uh, where it's almost like he was almost like a dancer sliding across the stage. He it just when you see that unbelievable athleticism, because sometimes we don't give baseball players the credit sometimes deserved for being great athletes. And here's a guy that is is just spectacular. But you look at Scherzer and Turner, and I'm wondering if teams just say, if Cody Bellinger was being Cody Bellinger, you just might go, uncle, uncle, yeah. we this team's got too much. 100%. It's funny you bring up Bellinger because that's kind of the way I looked at it. You think about the Dodgers. All right, Betts has obviously been one of the better players in the league. Even if he has a bad year, he's going to be one of the better players in the league. But he's not having a Mookie Betts type season. And now he's probably headed to the IL for the second time in the span of just a couple months. So you lose your leadoff hitter. He's a dynamic player in Betts. You mentioned Bellinger. He's one of the most athletic and versatile players in the league that's not having the kind of season he's used to. So what do you do to supplement those kind of down years? You go out and get Trey Turner, who's just as athletic as both of those guys. You can hit at the top of the lineup like Betts. He actually, since the start of last year, has most, more total bases than anybody but Vladimir Guerrero. So don't get it twisted just because he's a shortstop that runs and hits at the top of the lineup that he can't hit for power. He does plenty of damage. So yes. you go out and get basically the best type of supplemental play, supplemental supplemental player you can to make up for the lost, uh, the lost production from those two superstars. And then on the pitching side, you're obviously without Trevor Bauer for off-the-field reasons. You're without a three-time Cy Young winner in Kershaw who's on the shelf. So what do you do? You go out and get another three-time Cy Young award winner. So it's just a ridiculous collection of riches that the Dodgers have. I've got the numbers right here because we did a Dodgers game just a couple days ago. Eight playoff MVPs, eight Cy Young, six MVPs, three rookies of the year, and a manager of the year on top of that to pull it all together. So I don't think the Dodgers have too many complaints in terms of accomplished and uh, and plenty of experience in the postseason too. These aren't just guys that have been all-stars and put up big numbers. Pretty much everybody on the team has played in or won multiple World Series. Wow. And then you go further up the coast and the Giants uh, find that one puzzle piece that we thought all along would fit, and that's Chris Bryant, and it has fit. Yeah, it's kind of funny from the outside looking in, and I'm sure that the Dodgers or the Giants rather love hearing this. It's just more fuel for a team that really hasn't been respected as a team that's had the best record in the league for most yeah. of the year. Everyone's kind of been waiting for the other shoe to drop, even if they accept that they're a solid competitive team. But I mean, that being said, having come to the conclusion that we have to take them seriously, it's almost like a reset at the deadline. I mean, you have to have a huge exhale if you're the Giants. Man, what can we do to keep pace in this division? Just when we think we're ready to kind of separate and we get the exact guy, like you said, that people have been talking about for months and months of the fit and Bryant, and then you look down the coast and the Dodgers have just completely restocked and the Padres have supplemented their roster too. So it's going to be a great race, but I just can't help as an unbiased observer on the other side of the country thinking, oh, man, it just feels like something that's going to, where the Giants are going to get caught towards the end of the year. And what was a great year could end up being a one and done for them in the postseason. I just, I just have a hard time believing the Dodgers are not going to elevate their game over the next six weeks or so and, and end up winning that division. Well, I know for me as a fan, it'll be a lot of late night television, which I love watching baseball at midnight. Um, yeah. It's going to be really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm with you. If you're a real baseball fan, those West Coast games is a very good development to have this much fun baseball to watch on the West Coast because I'm with you. That's, I mean, shameless plug for the company here, but I really do think MLB tonight is the best way to watch baseball if you're trying to track a lot of games. And that's the, yep. everyone who works at MLB Network that works on the night side knows that that 10 to 1 show 
when the West Coast games are going. That's kind of the bread and butter of what MLB awesome. Network is. And this has been a perfect season for it, like you said, with all those West Coast teams in the mix. So a lot of fun late night baseball this year for sure, and it's still plenty to go. Yeah, in the American League Central, this is one where I am a fan and an unabashed Tony LaRusa guy. And the White Sox getting their lineup back. They trade for Kimbrell, and um, they look really poised. Yeah, and I think you have to – I know we've talked about him a lot throughout the year, but I think you have to give Tony huge credit for getting them to the trade deadline in the position they were in. I know it's yep. not a competitive division. It's the worst division in baseball, in fact. But that being said, you look at the way that they got here and the way they played, the first half they were basically the same type offensive team as the Cardinals in terms of their power production. I think they might have had one or two more homers than the Cardinals, both in the bottom third of the league in the first half of the season. So they were kind of playing more of a small ball style offensively, more of a, a hit average move the runner type of approach offensively to go with that great pitching that they have. And now all of a sudden you get Luis Robert back, you get Eloy Jimenez back, who looks like he didn't miss a beat. He's hit a yeah. bunch of bombs recently. And you look up and since the break, they all of a sudden have the most homers in the league. So this team that has learned to win together and kind of play a winning brand of baseball that's different than the brand of baseball you see around the league, now has the firepower to play that same style and hit the ball out of the yard with two of their most dynamic hitters back in the lineup. And oh, by the way, you add the best closer in the National League to arguably the best closer in the American League and have a two-headed monster at the back of the pen for Tony to mix and match with. And, and uh, Liam Hendricks, very open about how he does not care about pitching the ninth inning, which makes things very easy on them. So that is a formidable team. They're obviously going to win that division in a landslide. But I just think it's so impressive that they're able to play a completely different style than what most people expect them to play going into the year with what happened with the roster. And now, you know, these guys are back sooner than most people. I think most, I think a lot of people thought that those guys were lost for the year and here they are with a decent chunk of the season left to get their footing under them before the playoffs. So I don't know how you look at the American league and don't think Tony LaRusso is the manager of the year. I know that's going to ruffle some people's feathers and a lot of people thought he had a ready-made roster, but you got to look at how the season actually played out. Those guys haven't been there and he's been very, very creative with the team, and it's been fun to watch. And I'm with you. I'm a Bashed fan of Tony LaRusa. It's been fun to kind of have a secondary team to, to track and root for yep. like that. So the skipper gives you a call. Keith, Tony, give me some <laughs> analytics. How should I do the back end of my bullpen with these two great closers? I would say you're going to see a lot of Liam Hendricks in multiple innings, which is something that he's shown ah. over the years that he's capable and willing of doing. And all of a sudden you're looking at a situation where you just get through six innings, which they have the staff where everybody basically throws big innings. By the way, Lance Lynn going to start this game at the Field of Dreams tomorrow. How perfect is that? Is there anybody perfect. better suited to start a game at a cornfield than Lance Lynn throwing 95% fastballs and willing to throw 150 pitches if they'd let him? So they've got the staff to get to the back end of that bullpen. And they've shown over the last couple of years, too, that they can get creative with some of their minor league pieces. And they're not afraid to put guys with stuff and not a lot of experience in the middle innings in that pen. So I think they're going to have a really dynamic group. And I think that Hendricks being a multi-inning bridge to Kimbrell might be the key to what really makes that group click. If they can get to the next level and really maximize what they've got in those two monsters at the back of the pen. So looking ahead, uh, as we do over the, as I said previously, the non-dog days of the dog days of August, what are you looking at in the next week or 10 days as some significant matchups uh, or parts of the schedule that could have a lasting effect on this season? Well, I think going back to where we started with the Mets and the National League East, that division is so bunched up, even though 
thinks they've gotten there in different ways over the last two, three weeks, certainly teams going in different directions, but it's pretty bunched up at the top there. And this schedule, not just the double headers that we talked about earlier, but the actual teams and opponents that the Mets are facing their next four series in a row, starting on Friday are all against the Dodgers and Giants. I don't know what cruel person in the commissioner's office dealt them that schedule where they're going to have to play this juggernaut, but it's entirely possible that the Mets are basically out of the race two weeks from now. And that could open the door for, for any number of possibilities in the National League East. So as disappointing as that division has been, I also think it's becoming one of the more intriguing divisions, the National League West being the obvious answer, like we talked about earlier. But in terms of just something to keep an eye on and movement in the standings, I think the National League East is going to have a lot of intrigue over the next couple of weeks. And just the idea that the Braves have a chance to potentially reassert themselves as still the king of that division after everything they've been through in the first half of the season, I think that's a, that's a pretty enticing thing to watch. And, Having Philly in the mix, too. I mean, they've kind of been irrelevant the last handful of years, and having meaningful baseball in September with those fans in Philly, that could be a lot of fun, too. I think so, too. So finally, uh, tell me what's coming up on MLB Network uh, in the next few days and in this next coming week. Yeah, we've got a couple games coming up uh, this weekend, Dodgers-Mets on Friday and Saturday. And then in the coming weeks, we actually did one last night, and uh, the game didn't get rained out, but our broadcast got rained out from a lengthy delay. A couple more of those CC Sabathia clubhouse games, which has been really fun to work on. CC is an awesome guy, and he's brought a really fun cast of characters through to kind of do more of a laid-back broadcast with them. We had Prince Steele there on last night, Jason Kendall, and Andy Ashby, because Aaron Ashby was pitching for the Brewers in his second appearance, Andy's nephew. So just kind of a different way to do a game and get a lot of different perspectives. And the guys, uh, you know, you think of it as just guys back kicking back on the couch and not really doing deep analysis, but it's funny. You've been around these athletes enough Rammer. you get them into that Great. comfortable zone and they circle back to actually the best analysis in that setting. A lot of times you get the best conversations about hitting when these guys just kind of start BSing and let their guard down. And before you know it, they're talking like the cameras aren't there, just like they would in the clubhouse before a game getting ready for a matchup. So those have been a lot of fun to work on. I think fans have liked them too. We got a couple more coming up. Yeah, those conversations are gold because they're not scripted and it just you're you're right inside each guy's head and they react off each other. It it really is gold. Yeah. Yeah, they've been a lot of fun and uh you know, not having everything scripted, I'm not gonna complain about making things a little easier on the prep side for us in the forty eight hours leading up to the game. Just show up and let's do it. There you go. <laughs> Works all the way around. Well, Keith, it's been great. We'll be looking forward to the Dodgers Mets games on uh, MLB Network this weekend. You and I'll visit again next week. Yep, sounds good. I'll talk to you then, Rammer. That's Keith Costas. I'm Bob Ramsey on the Keith Costas Podcast. Every day, Amron, Illinois works to deliver reliable energy throughout the state to on the go families in-the-know grandparents, and busy students. But did you know we also have ways to manage your energy? Paperless billing, outage notifications, pick a due date, auto pay, and so much more. So no matter who you are or how you use your energy, there's an option that's right for you. Learn more at AmarinIllinois.com slash options.